Welcome to the Condo Vultures Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Zalewski. This is our Real Estate Players Profile. It appears every Friday. It's a one-on-one um, interview that I do with some guests to um, know something about what's going on in the marketplace, can give you some actionable information and hopefully some insight, and we're going to try to make it funny. So for this particular week, and this is episode number 63, um, I have a conversation with John Grady. It's a little bit longer than our typical hour, but he's got some real interesting insight to provide. And what do we discuss? We're talking about lending, uh, especially private money lending, uh, while banks might be pulling back in terms of what kind of money to put down the street, whether it has to do with residential condos or, and or commercial space, possibly even new construction. Uh, John and his firm, Acquisitions Capital, they're actively involved in the market and they're searching around, trying to get financing for some of those borrowers who are coming to them. John likes to refer to himself as a debt jockey. I'd probably call him more so somewhere between a combination of investment banker slash mortgage broker. Maybe a mortgage banker. How's that sound? So anyways, uh, during the course of our conversation, we're going to talk about foreign nationals and can, get, can they get financing. We're going to talk about uh, condo financing. And if anyone doesn't know, South Florida's condo market is running at some real difficult times. Um, part of it has to do with oversupply. The other part has to do with the fact that we got a pandemic going on and everybody's running from the high density towers and they're going into horizontal single family houses. So who's going to buy a condo, and more importantly, who's going to finance a condo. So John and I will get into that. We're also going to talk about hard money loans. We'll talk about retail loans, hospitality, um, any and all of the above. So it's a fascinating conversation. John's really sort of grounded. He'll give you some straight talk. Um, Might curse a little bit, but uh, you won't even notice. Trust me on that. So uh, before we go ahead and get started with the podcast, I want to remind you, if you're not yet a subscriber to the Condo Vulture podcast, please go ahead and do so wherever you listen to your podcast. If you like what we're doing, Give us a rating and also give us some comments. Uh, the more ratings and the better comments that we, or excuse me, the better ratings we get and the more comments we receive, ultimately it's going to help to us to push along the podcast and help us to accomplish our uh, our goal and our objective, which is try to bring straight talk to an overhyped real estate market in South Florida. And then finally, if you have any um, comments for us, uh, the Condo Vultures podcast, whether it is a question, it is a complaint, it is a compliment, it is a suggestion, any and all of the above, we want to hear from you. Please send an email to inquiry at condovultures.com, I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. All those comments that we receive, we go ahead and we discuss them during our Reporters Roundtable, which is a um, program we uh, that appears every Wednesday. And by the way, on Mondays, I do a condo market analysis where I go in and I take, a, uh, and I, uh, take an examination or I do an examination effectively of what's going on statistically of a particular uh, condo market down here in the Tri-County, South Florida area of Miami-Dade, Broward, Palm Beach County. So all that being said, fasten that seatbelt, lean back, and get ready to learn all about what's going on in private financing market in South Florida as we battle through a pandemic. Are you a primary user or real estate investor who's in the market for a discounted South Florida condo? Are you searching in the markets of greater downtown Miami, Miami Beach, north to Sunny Isles Beach, Hollywood, north of Fort Lauderdale, or anywhere else east of I-95 in the Tri-County, South Florida region? If so, the buyer brokers at Condo Vultures Realty are here to assist you. Condo Vultures Realty is a licensed Florida brokerage that was established in 2006 to assist educated buyers in identifying, negotiating, and purchasing units at a discounted price. To speak with a buyer broker at Condo Vultures Realty, please call 305-865-5859 or visit our website, condovulturesrealty.com. Welcome back to the Condo Vultures Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Zalewski. This is our real estate player's profile. I do these every Friday. I basically, I have a conversation 
with someone who's in the real estate industry, who has offered some great insight, uh, intel, as well as a real-time perspective as to what's really going on. And it's all done for you, the listener. Why? Because they're trying to cut through all the bullshit that's out there and give you some straight talk about what's really going on. Anybody who hasn't played in the South Florida market, they probably don't realize how overhyped this market is. And my goal is to try to bring some straight talk. Now, you want to talk straight talk. I got a fantastic um, uh, guest I'm going to be uh, interviewing today. His name, his name is John Grady. He's a principal with a company called Acquisitions Capital. Now, you're, on, you're wondering, what the hell is Acquisitions Capital? Well, he's not necessarily an investment banker. He's not necessarily a mortgage broker. He's what he calls himself a debt jockey. John, what's going on? Peter, how are you, my friend? Not bad, minute. not bad. Good, good to hear from you. Good to hear from you. Been a, it's been a while. It, it's um, been a while. Long. Way, way too long. How, how are you holding up with the pandemic? It's obviously, it's been a pain in the ass for everybody. It's been a real crazy type of year. How, how are you doing personally? Yeah, I mean, personally, I'm healthy. You know, I'm happy. I, I um, you know, supply chains have seemed to hold up pretty good. I haven't lost any weight, so um, <laughs> you know, I think I'm, I think I'm, I'm doing pretty good. You know, I'm doing pretty good, buddy. You know, still nice. having a hard time getting into my 36, well, maybe 38. All right, 38. You know, my 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 38 pants there. So, um, yeah, all is well, Pete. All is well. That's great. Now, 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 John, I'm excited to have this conversation with you because what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about everything from uh, financing related to residential to maybe something that's commercial related. Also talking about uh, maybe some of those people who are in trouble, the market's gone sideways, maybe they didn't do something wrong, but lo and behold, the, 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 the floor fell out on them, and they find themselves all jammed up, and they're looking for maybe an alternative to sort of help them keep their head above water, and you're just the guy to talk to because you're going to be able to address all three of those sort of subjects, correct? Absolutely, 100%. All right, all right. Now, um, just rules of engagement, so you know. Um, oh, we're going to look for straight talk and salty language is permitted. So if you drop an F-bomb, nobody on this call is going to be uh, uh, concerned. And I know you're a New Yorker, so chances are you're going to be cursing up and down and not even realizing. Listen, up in Hell's Kitchen, it's a verb used to describe action. So keep fucking going, you know? <laughs> <laughs> love it, love it. Now, now, for the audience, just to remind them, we're going to do three 20-minute segments. First 20 minutes will be about you. Second 20 minutes will be about what's going on currently in the market. And then the third 20 minutes is going to be sort of about what, what do you see kind of going forward. So we, we, we good with that? 100%, Pete, 100%. All right, fantastic. Now, um, John, what I want to ask you is um, how did you get to South Florida and where are you from originally simply because – Nobody seems to be born here. Very few seem to be born here. So what, what, what's your story? What brought you to South Florida? You're running from the law. You came down for a job, or there was some uh, uh, woman involved? <laughs> well, I don't know. Am I allowed, is, uh, are we allowed to take the fifth on this call? Because uh, I might know. <laughs> no, just kidding. Just kidding. Um, no, you know, listen, um, I was always uh, I was in New York. I uh, grew up in uh, – I was born in, born in a place called Yonkers, actually – most people that were born there actually head north, northern part of the state, and head north. I actually went from Yonkers to Hell's Kitchen and uh, was in the city there for a while. And, um, you know, late, late 80s, um, you know, looking for something to do and was, was, uh, was got into the sales, sales game. Uh, from an early age, I was selling candy door to door, you know. Uh, that was my hustle when I was 10 years old. And then I had a paper out and all that kind of stuff. So, Seemed to be always in the sales end of things and carried that into um, my young adult 
life and uh, had an opportunity um, to jump on a plane one day and go to Hawaii. Um, I went out there, and uh, as you could imagine, uh, I liked what I saw. I was a pretty much free spirit at the time, didn't have um, too many commitments and, and really um, wasn't uh, wasn't so uh, ambitious about my future. So um, just really went out there and fell in love with the place and um, stumbled on a, on a job position in sales and, and ended up actually taking over that business um, when I was about 23, 24. And that was my first uh, first go at being an entrepreneur. I was uh, We did uh, sports promotions uh, with the National Football League. Um, wow. They would come over. Yeah, it was a pretty it was a pretty good gig. I, uh, you know, we would structure and put together the the cop and jock uh, basketball games and, and golf tournaments during the Pro Bowl for the uh, local charities over there on the islands. And so we had we had two events that we did. Each one was a six month run up, and uh, you know we raised the money for that and did different tickets on different islands and different venues and. And uh, yeah, it was a great time. It was a, it was a good, uh, very very free thing and uh, very free spirited. And got to um, got to see all ports of Hawaii. Things that a, a kid from the Bronx and, and and Hell's Kitchen really didn't didn't expect to be able to do. And the Japanese were a big part of that economy over there, and they had yep. problems with their economy and and most of what we did was was the fluff you know was the cream on top of the economy right um so uh it was it was people that had extra money in their budgets and stuff like that and then when the japanese market um kind of went bust that was responsible for about 60 to 70 percent of the hawaiian economy and so um as that started to wind down and they started to get in trouble uh over there in, in japan um i think it was 1994 and right, I was yeah. uh, it was the middle it was winter time, and I was looking at the New York winter and thinking about the New York winter. And uh, I said, you know what? Let me uh, let me stop off in Miami for a few months before I get back up there in New York and start taking my life serious. And and uh, you know, as happens to so many of us gringos down here, I came down here, fell in love with a Colombian girl, and uh, <laughs> the rest of the <laughs> you know how that goes. Yeah, that was that. And uh, anyway, ended up uh, fathering a young girl that uh, her dad had passed, and it was just a beautiful thing. And, and uh, yeah, so she kept me in place here for the last 20, what what are we at, 25 years, 26 years now? So, what a great story. Uh, now, 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 John, yeah. I, I, I want to stop you there. I want to stop you there. I want to ask you mm-hmm. a couple questions just, again, about your background. Sure. First of all, um, Yankees fan or Mets fan in terms of baseball? You know, grew up with – you could see Yankee Stadium from my bedroom window, right? Could see it, you know. Wow, you were really in the Bronx. Yep. And, uh, but I have to tell you, um, you know, being that uh, I'm a guy that generally likes to go against the grain, I'm a Mets yep. fan. So. <laughs> a Mets fan living in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. That must have been living in the Bronx when you were in uh-huh. school. <laughs> yeah, it created. It, it created. I, I listen. I developed a good right hook from that. You know. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I got. I got to ask you about um, Hawaii. Um, I, I've been mm-hmm. through. I passed through. I was. I lived in Australia for a while on my way uh, over. 
uh, I had to stop off. So, you know, I, I got to have a look at Hawaii. Um, wh- what do you say to people who say the only people who go to Hawaii are either Californians or those going on their honeymoon? Um, g- g- give us the real perspective about Hawaii. I mean, you know, um, you know, it is a big, it is a big West Coast. Um, you know, I always, I always say, you know, Florida and Hawaii have a have a very similarity. I think it's people are sitting in colder places with bad weather, um, yep. thinking about getting their shit together, and they say yep. uh, all simultaneously, "I'll go to Hawaii and get my shit together," or "I'll go to Florida and get my shit together," and so it creates that atmosphere that's. Um, especially when you're in your 20s. And, you know, Hawaii was, um, I'll tell you, surprising to me, it, it was a very, it had a very uh, Asian-American influence. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just to go out there and to see the, the, you know, the level of which they honored the country from an Asian perspective was yes. surprising, right? Because, you know, you grew up in New York, you're, you're generally dealing with European immigrants and this kind of, you know, red, white, and blue Americana. Um, and then when you go out to Hawaii and you see it in the Asian influence, um, yeah, it was it was pretty interesting, especially for a New Yorker because, you know, I and I was a real, you know, um, I, I actually took speech classes back in the day to, uh, you know, not talk like this and that, you know. So, so, um, yeah, but not, yeah, but not, not, uh, now it's an asset. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, now it is, you know, when I get a little irritated or I get excited, you know, it, it comes out a lot more than, uh, than the, than the way it used to, but it was hilarious. I would be working the phones back in the day. I was a phone jockey, you know, and, and, yeah. uh, you know, I had very colorful language to close the deal, you know? And, um, and so, um, people would say, geez, you're, you know, you're a really great salesman, John, but, uh, the word motherfucker doesn't belong in there so many times, you know? And I'd be like, Oh, did I say that? <laughs> No, 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 no. I got I got I to ask you. Um, and uh, guys typically like going into 7-Eleven in the United States. Why? Because you can get a cheap drink. You can get if you smoke, you can pick up cigarettes, pick up some fast food, you pick up whatever the case, whatever the case, whatever the case. Well, um, I don't know if a lot of a lot of people know this, but 7-Eleven is actually owned by Japanese. And when you go to Asia yeah. and you go to Hawaii, the 7-Eleven is not like the place you see in the in the mainland where basically they have a bunch of hot dogs on a roller and they're going around and it smells like they're, you know, they're spraying WD-40 on them. You go out there and it's an exotic experience going into 7-Eleven. Were you able to enjoy that? Was was Were the Japanese in, uh, in control of 7-Eleven at the time? Or what, what's your recollection of 7-Eleven? We, we had, back then, we had the, the big thing in, 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 in Honolulu anyway was the ABC stores, you know? Okay. Um, so, and, and the Circle K, I remember the Circle K. I don't know if, if, if 7-Eleven, I don't think 7-Eleven had, had taken off to the level that we see it now, right? I think it was still a, um, you know, predominantly much smaller market to where now they're, you know, 7-Eleven, even, even in Miami now have expanded in the last five years. um, You know, John, I was in, I, I was in Hong Kong. And the prices, and this is obviously before the pandemic, the prices are so expensive in Hong Kong for everything. A lot, a lot of people, what they do is they go to what they call, I think they call it Club 11. And what you do is you go inside, you buy whatever you're going to drink, and you stand outside of the 7-Eleven. And somebody brings music. And the next thing you know, in Hong Kong, instead of going and dropping big money in some club, everybody's gathered outside of the 7-Eleven. They're not shaking you down for change, though, like they do in Miami. <laughs> well, listen, we used to have something like that in the Irish community. It's called a flask. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
you bring those to whatever club you go to in your back pocket, you know? There you go. There you go. What, what, one last uh, Hawaii question. What is up with spam? Yes, did, did you get you into know, spam? Do you eat spam? Kind, bro. What, what, what's the story? The kind, bro. The kind. They like the kind. They like the spam, buddy. You know, spam and spam and eggs, spam and cheese. And I have to say, you know, I found things to do with spam over there that, you know, would only, I mean, you know, spam on your plate lunch. I don't know if you know what, a, if you got to experience what, experience what a plate lunch is. No, um, no, 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 no. A, what, what is it? Well, a plate lunch was like kind of, it was a cross between like Polynesian, American, Korean kind of, you know, it was a great store out there. And there was a chain of them called Grace's Plate Lunch, you know. Okay. And if I could get my Hawaiian accent down, they would come over and they'd say, hey, bruh, you like one plate lunch? You know, and so you'd go over to Grace's and you'd get a scoop of macaroni salad, right? Which is legendary in Hawaii, right? Legendary, right? Legendary. Then you'd get some kimchi, also legendary Korean, right? Yep. And then you'd have your chicken, you'd have a chicken katsu, which was, a, that was my favorite plate lunch, was the macaroni salad, the kimchi, chicken katsu. And then, or you could get the spam, you know, and then you had your rice, your white rice. So, yeah. so that's, that's the staple of what a plate lunch out, uh, out there was. And kudos to Grace's plate lunch, because I don't know if they're still in operation, but I spent a lot of days. Oh, and then they had the short rib, the, um, the Korean, the, the Korean barbecue or the short rib, you know? So the short rib plate lunch, two scoops of rice, scoop of macaroni salad, kimchi, and uh, yeah, heaven, heaven, just a, uh, just a uh, you know a carbohydrate carbohydrate dream out there. So that was that's a big uh, <laughs> big thing that I missed. You know. All right. So all of a sudden you get you get on the mainland. You end up in Miami. Right. You end up getting married to a Colombian. Um, now now you're in uh, South Florida. Uh, let, let me ask you: You find any good New York pizza in South Florida? Any any place that stands out uh, when you're jonesing for that? Any place you can go to? Any place you might suggest to the uh, listeners? You know, I mean, the, the the traditional New York pizza kind of thing is, um, you know, it's even hard. Truthfully, it's hard to find in New York. You know, only wow. because when I was growing up as a as a teenager, I dated a girl named Carmelinda Mayolo, and her father owned pizzerias. So wow. um, I, I was. Uh, we had the pizzeria. We had we had um, funny story. Her family had something called the Pizza Barn, which was like two neighborhoods over from mine. And we used to have Mario's. So when I used to go pick her up, and you had to be very loyal to your pizza place in New York, right? So when I would go pick up Linda from work, and her mother would say, Giovanni, you'd like some pizza? And I would say, oh, no, Connie, thank you. And she'd start yelling and screaming about me that she knows that I eat Mario's pizza. And, and, uh, you know, you didn't want to You were cheating on her. Yeah. Well, the other thing, Pete, was – you know, uh, Domino's had just came out, and there was one. There was only one store, and you know, back in the day, you used to chop on everybody's mother. You know, like that was the big thing. You know, you know. Yeah, yeah. And um, you know, if you were like one of the one of the big chops in school, was like, oh, I saw Grady's mother at Domino's Pizza last night. Ah, <laughs> you know, because it was such a bad thing to uh, to do the Domino's. But you know, we have. I'll tell you, we have some really good. Um, you know, the pizzeria, there was there used to be one down in South Miami. Um mm-hmm. that was a guy out of he was at a he was out of Little Italy, but I think he's since gone and 
Um, now everything just seems to be this kind of, I think what they're doing a lot in Miami now is this, you know, the traditional Italian pizza, which has yeah. nothing to do with New York, New York pizza, you know, and so it's, it's more of that really expensive. Thing. Yeah. And it's the same size. It doesn't fill you up yep. and it's, you know, three times, four times the price. So, yeah. um, but there is uh there's uh for every time I go back to New York, um, there's a great there's a great pizzeria on Avenue of the Americas in Sixth over there. I think it's called Frank's, and they still have the uh, the traditional New York pizza. But it seems everything is you know you got a lot of these uh, free slices and a Coke for five bucks. So I don't know what you can you know what you can make with five bucks, but it's certainly not New York pizza. <laughs> <laughs> which is a which is a great segue, John. Um. John, tell me, tell me a little bit about your company, Acquisitions Capital. What, what, what exactly do you guys do, big picture? And, and keep in mind, John, our crowd is all over the world, and typically uh-huh. the, 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 the listener tends to either have invested in real estate in South Florida, they work in real estate, mm-hmm. and or they're considering uh, investing in real estate in South Florida, and they're looking for straight talk. Yeah, so I'll give you, you know, basically, Peter, I'll just give you the story of how I stumbled, you know, into into this world. Um, and that will explain, well, you know, more about basically what we do and what we've evolved into. Um, you know, I started in, in the mortgage business, I think, 97. And John, really John, just John I'll tell you what. John, mm-hmm. not to interrupt you, but we're coming up to the edge of or the end of our um, first segment. Why don't we go ahead and we take a okay. commercial break. Uh, on the other okay. side of the break, uh, we'll give you plenty of time to go into all of that. So I think it's going to be really 100%. fascinating. So you're, yeah, you're listening yeah. to the Counter Vulture Podcast. Good. On the other side of the break, John's going to explain to us what uh, acquisition capital is, what he does, and uh, what his role is in the overall marketplace. So well, we'll catch you on the other side. Don't buy a South Florida condo discounted or distressed before taking a Condo Vultures correction tour. CondoVultures.com offers weekly bus and walking tours that focus on educating buyers on the how-tos of identifying discounted condos, analyzing the opportunities, and purchasing units. Every tour attendee receives a list of all condo projects in a particular market, a market assessment handout, and unmatched expert analysis. For more information on the condo correction tours, please visit condovultures.eventbrite.com or call 305-865-5859. Welcome back to the Condo Vultures Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Zalewski. I'm having a conversation with John Grady. He's a principal in Acquisitions Capital. Now, John was telling us a little bit about his background, how he got to Miami, originally from New York, by way of Hawaii. Uh, Now we're going to get into what Acquisitions Capital does. And let me just tell you a little bit about his website and what it says on there. Anybody interested in uh, checking out more uh, on their own while they're listening to the podcast, go to acapusa.com, A-C-A-P-U-S-A.com. Uh, and they basically are in the business of helping uh, borrowers get conventional, non-QM, foreign national, private lending, commercial construction, and hard money loans. So that's an overview. But now John is going to tell us a little bit about how they kind of got the uh, situation going. So, John, um, uh, how did it all begin? Yeah. Um, thanks, Pete. Uh, when I, I got into the um, the mortgage world, uh was you know, came to Florida and, and, and obviously we, t- we talked about that part already and was working primarily in, in funding general partnerships for um, different opportunities that were coming about. Unfortunately, back in those days, um, you know, you didn't know if, if the, the GP that you were funding was a real deal or it was, you know, some kind of scam and, you know, the stories about that, they'd raid the phone rooms and, and stuff. So 
I kind of got tired of wondering, you know, we were funding uh, SMR radio, which actually turned out to be Sprint. Um, that the the next remember Nextel. I don't know if you remember that. It turned out to be oh, those licenses across that was the country. The company. And, right, right. Yeah, was, yeah. Wasn't that the company that construction workers used because it was like a walkie-talkie yep. on your telephone? Right. So what happened was when they were connecting towers across the U.S. Um, what I didn't know, or what what I guess nobody knew, was you could go to any FCC place and file an application for a license. Um, mm-hmm. And you could get that license for as little as $1,000. You may be, be in the middle of BF nowhere, right? Um, yeah. But eventually the idea was that somebody was going to need your tower and your license to connect, you know, this, this system in and around the country. And okay. so what happened was somebody got smart and decided that they were going to raise all this money for these partnerships to fund the acquisition of these licenses. But they weren't acquisitions. They were just filings, right? So when I found out that they were just filings, I assumed that, you know, I was not working with a a forthright group because we were raising large sums of money for each one of these markets. And really the maximum that it cost was a thousand bucks, right? So I decided, hey, you know what? I'm not going to, I don't want to be around when they, when the blue jackets come through the door. I need to find something uh, that's, you know, straightforward. I'm a straightforward person. I'm not really, I'm, I'm a little bit, you know, lazy sometimes. I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to do the song and the dance. Um, yeah. And I'm a very direct guy. So I, I, you know, went and just talked to a few people about doing mortgages and uh, found that numbers, you know, numbers, you can only make them live for a certain period of time, like in 2008, 2009, right? Eventually, right. two plus two has to come back to four, right? That's right. So that, yeah, got into the mortgage business and. Um, it was great. I, I, I started off doing government paper and, uh, you know, doing well with it, you know, closing loans and developing systems for a couple of com- companies, a couple of marketing systems that I put in place. Most of it back then was still telemarketing and fax machines, uh, which okay. I was pretty much a master at. So, John, um, John, John, let, let, mm-hmm. let me just stop you there. You, you, yep. you mentioned a couple um, – um, Acronyms and, and lingo, and I would just want to help make sure the audience understands. Government okay. paper. Uh, what, what do you mean by that? Yeah. GP. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? Okay, uh, government paper would be kind of, um, you know, lending that deals with uh, government insured. Uh, you know, you have um, what I'm. She's. I can't even. Think of the name like, right like, now. like like a um, Fannie Mae type of mortgage or something like that. Yeah, so you have you know Fannie Mae type mortgages that that's that's insured. You know that yep. space between eighty percent and a hundred percent financing, which is insured um, okay. by the FHA, right? So FHA is a government paper. Um, you know, um, good enough. Good, good. Yeah, you just want to give people like an example. So, and GP, uh-huh. you mean general partner? Yeah, general partnerships, right? So that okay. was what we were doing back then. Okay. Sorry, um, but yeah. So uh, anyway, I got into that business, Pete, and I found that you know it was uh, it was it, you know it was pretty straightforward. It was you know you you didn't. Uh, I mean, obviously there were people in this industry that you know quoted a rate and then went to the closing table and the rate changed. I was always of the nature <laughs> that hey look, you know I was always of the nature was look if I if I tell the guy what it is right, I can count on that when I get to the closing table I'm going to get a handshake. Um, and not something else. I literally had been in a closing one time uh, where a guy, I uh, won't say his name, but um, 
you know, he worked the opposite, right? So he would promise people this like low rate and, you know, people wanted to believe it. And then he'd get to the table and then he would work the closing table and just basically, well, the rates have changed. The market has changed. You know, unfortunately, and that's when that happens, somebody, you know, is, you know, they have themselves vested in that they're going to be moving into this house or they're going to be using this investment. And yep. a lot of times people were willing back in the day to just take what they could get, right? And um, literally was in a closing one time where a guy, you know, I don't remember, remember the old cell phones? They used to call them the bricks. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Cell phone. Yeah, well, this guy um, was, uh, was actually, I, w- I was actually doing the funding part of it. I didn't sell the rate. Um, and, uh, the borrower looked down at the rate, looked at his broker and said, Hey, what is the story with this? And the guy just kind of shrugged his shoulders and said, Hey, that's where the market is today. And, uh, this is in, in the, in my mortgage, this is in my mortgage handbook of things not to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> the guy got up from the table and cracked the guy right over the head with his, with his brick phone, you know? So oh my um, God, it was quite interesting. <laughs> it was quite interesting, but anyway, um, yeah, there's there's a thousand of those stories, Pete, and, and you know Miami real estate is a has been a, a very exciting over the years. And um, but anyway, so I, I stayed in that in that space for about two years and learned it very well. And you know was in in a place called Coral Gables, which is part of Miami Dade County, um, and ran into um, I befriended a, a gentleman at. Um, at Starbucks and he was in the real estate side of business. And he said to me one day, Hey, listen, um, the Irish economy is booming. I'm a Scots Irish and I have about 60 clients that are in Dublin that have purchased real estate in the Florida market. Could you help them with mortgages? Nice. And, and at that time I, you know, was still, uh, you know, basically, you know, jockeying and riding buses and, you know, and just trying to figure out how I was going to come up in this in this mortgage business. And it was interesting. Um, Liam uh, was the gentleman's name. And and uh, so he handed off these 60 sale contracts to me. I started trying mm-hmm. to document what's called the 1003 applications with these with these Irish investors. I couldn't get any information out of them. You know, no, they're no, no. always... 1003. Uh, John, John 1003 basically is is what real simple the uniform it is in the United States it is the uniform residential loan application okay document 1003 right or 1003 right so when we would start to try to do those applications um, I couldn't really get much information out of them and being (laughs) that I grew up Bronx Irish um, you know New York City most of you grow up Irish in New York you're you kind of grew up thinking that you're Irish. Um, yep. And so I just said, hey, what a great opportunity to get a plane ticket. Um, the gentleman that was on the Irish side of these sales uh, invited me over. So I got on a plane and I went to Dublin and started to meet these clients uh, one by one and started documenting um, their financial positions, their income positions, and the different ways that we could do it that would be acceptable to the banks here in the U S being that people, what happens a lot of times, Peter, for foreigners that they don't understand one, they don't understand that there is high level of financing up to 75, sometimes 80% available to them. But the other thing is that we here in the U S we work off a credit score based on our social security numbers. Yes. 
So the Social Security number doesn't exist for the foreigner because that comes with residency. Mm-hmm. Um, in Europe, it's called the they use a P60. We use a W2, right? Um, mm-hmm. So what would ha- what happens is a lot of people don't think that there's mortgage financing. What we did was we were part of the group that put these alternative document loans together, right? Um, and they consisted of accountants letters to document income and various credit references from established agencies for people. So went there and put together 60 of these applications for about a month. Um, was you know out one weekend with a few few guys that I had met and, and stumbled on a um, basically a trade show and went into this gigantic hall. I forget the name of it. It's right there in a place called Balls Bridge in, in Dublin. And um, walked into this, this 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 trade show, and it was actually scaled models of all these developments in Spain and Dubai, and you know, and there were models and wine and cheese, and and people were buying real estate like they were buying. I don't know, like some things you just buy at a trade show. So so the idea was that they're with brokers and they were doing sight unseen deposits on contracts. Damn. Part of that deposit, yeah, it was interesting because they would put $5,000 down on a unit and then they would, from that $5,000 deposit, they would fly them to whatever country. I mean, they had scale models in South Africa. Um, and then all of a sudden I started seeing Orlando and Miami coming into this to to, to view and realized that everybody was selling the real estate and nobody was selling the loans. I was there documenting 60 loans from Irish buyers from the Orlando market. And a light went on in my head that, hey, I don't want to sell real estate. That's not my gig. I want to sell financing. And I just attached myself um, to a lot of these U.S. sellers and carved out a market for myself for the next five or six years that that run – uh, went from 98, I think, all the way through to 2006, 7. Um, well done. Where I, yeah, and so I, it was neat because I got to follow this. This show was this. This trade show was called Homes Overseas, and they actually did a, you know, dog and pony trade show in, you know, four different cities in England, Ireland, all of the Scandinavian countries, and most of the sale of the properties were for, you know. Um, Mortgages in in the southern part of Europe, south of Spain, um, Portugal, in the Algarve, um, you know, all you know, Italy down in the Med, and so it was interesting because not only did I start to do the mortgages for properties in um, on the U.S. side of things, um, came back and, and was having just a great time. I was literally homeless for about three years because I would come back to the U.S. And I would stay in a hotel in the Lorraine Hotel, if you know where that is, Peter. On uh, it's on 28th and uh, Collins, and yes, it was I a do. weekly mm-hmm. rental hotel. So I'd get my three, four weeks there, and do my work, and then I'd go back out on the road to the property shows, and literally just you know stay at, at be, uh, bed and breakfasts all around Europe. So I got to see some amazing stuff. Got to see all of Europe while doing this business. Had a portable and you build a printer book of business. And, right. I had a portable printer and a laptop, you know, and I would pull my port. I'd go to people's houses. I'd do their 1003 application, right, at their house, collect 450 euros, right, yeah. and print their application, put it in a FedEx, and send it back to my processing team in Coral Gables. And, Amazing. Uh, 
it was it was a great. I have to say, you know, it was just a it was a godsend. It was a, it was a great time. Ended up doing financing, uh, living in for a bit of time in Puerto Banus down in Spain. I was working on projects down there. Um, we did some stuff um, off of the coast of Portugal. Um, I forget what the string of islands there were. And then started getting a little bit more involved in the development side. And, and um, you know, it was, it was really neat because, you know, whereas everything was governed by this document called a mortgage and a, and a note, you know, the way that everybody did things was, was a little bit different. I always used to say it's the same animal, just different teeth, right? And um, so got to be specialized in, in international, you know, mortgage financing. Um, we ended up getting a line of credit. Uh, we were associated with a group that got a line of credit uh, okay. for about 250 million euro from JP Morgan. And nice. that was 2007. And we had it fully subscribed, uh, meaning that what I mean by that is that we had that line, the revolver of 250 million, all 250 million was placed uh, within mm-hmm. a three month period for, for, for properties in Spain and France and, um, in Portugal, and yep. we were ready to turn on the lights in in October of 2007. Oh, and uh, yeah, and uh, so I think you know what happens from here, how the story goes. And Ioxa Insurance said basically what they said to us was, "Look, logistically, the currency had just moved into the physical currency, and mortgages yep. and and finance was starting to trade in the EU, kind of like what we do interstate here, right?" It started to act and take on that personality. And so once we had logistically figured it all out, um, where we could take an application in London and close in London on a property in Puerto Benue, Spain, well, then yep. we had it all figured out, right? And once we once we were to have that done, IAXA Insurance was to buy us out for, up from what I understand, upwards of $100 million, and we were – you know, going to split all that, and it was kumbaya and good days ahead. And, and uh, yep. But I did not get that memo from Greenspan. <laughs> Anybody... Alan Greenspan, Anybody... the former chief of the Federal Reserve. <laughs> right. He didn't send me the memo that he was going to turn the spigot off. You know. And uh, that was uh, that was interesting. You know, that was interesting. So we went from there. To uh, we were to turn on the lights in October and fully fund this line and then do it again and revolve it out and, and just keep going and get really rich and come back to the U.S. You know on my white horse and uh, you know be a superstar and that turned into thank God that I did all that travel and saved all those miles because that's what it took me to get back to the U.S. Uh, after everything <laughs> collapsed. You know so. I did. I came back to Miami on the miles that I had generated over the last eight or nine years and and then was really just thrown into a world of uh, it's time to reinvent yourself, right, and try to figure out. I wasn't ready to leave the real estate business behind. I had the bug, you know. Yep, yep. And I wasn't ready to walk away and and so decided to figure out, you know, notice that 80% of the people that were in the business left. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't knock down the buildings or the homes or anything else like that. So I said, there's gotta be a, there's gotta be a way to make money here. And, um, that's, I think when I, when I, when I met you, you were, you were at that time, you were the foremost guy and, uh, you know, I remember seeing you in the New York times and then we would go to di- different events and I met you at, uh, you were, you were a keynote speaker a few times Yep. and yep, we, yep, uh, yep, yep. you know, most of the time you were the keynote speaker and, 
we got to meet each other and 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 you know trade ideas and and uh and i guess i guess for me i was surviving you were flourishing um and i started in that business and started finding different ways to take my talents um as you know as lebron said take my talents to miami yeah that's right and uh yeah, and uh, started learning about, you know, um, what, you know, how were we going to navigate this market? You know, how were we going to go from this inflated real estate market, you know, doing negative amortization loans um, where people were diving into this supposed equity that was be building every year at 20%. You know, you were getting 100% financing due to the idea that the bank thought by next year your your property would be worth from 500,000 it would go to 600,000 so if they gave you 100% financing at that 500 or that million uh that there would be a 20% equity position in it you know um by next year's calendar date yeah 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 and, yeah, yeah, um, yeah that was a pyramid we all know that now and um you know when that stopped it then it reversed right and so and and everything started going backwards and and people were upside down in their properties and um Unfortunately, when a lot of people took this position that they were uh, going to, you know, it was a weird, was a weird time. I'm, I know you remember the only way that you could get this help from the government was if you trashed your credit, right? So, oh yeah, yeah, you, yeah, called no, you, bank, you had to default. You had to default in yeah. order to trigger any right. kind of government right. Uh, uh, response. Right. So, if you were a guy that still wanted to pay for what you had, but you needed some help to get over the hump. Uh, and you called into your bank and said, hey, listen, uh, you know, I can get right here, but I need a little bit of a break here. The, the idea was, sorry, you have to default for 120 days before we can talk to you. That's right. And that started the world of loan modifications and discounted debt. And um, during that time, I started breaking a little more into the commercial world and, you know, stumbled on a pretty big insurance group out of, uh, out of Miami that was a reinsurer. Uh, in South mm -hmm. America, and they had um, they had quite a bit of dollars in annuities uh, off offshore, and that they okay. wanted to place in the real estate market. And I was given, you know, I was given a bucket of about fifty million dollars to place, um, you know, on various collateral. And they liked the idea of a discounted payoff. Whereas before, if you had an apartment building and you were no longer your your what's called the debt to income ratio, the debt service, the DS. CR, the debt service mm -hmm. coverage ratio, if your income could no longer service that debt, well, what were you going to do? You were going to default on your mortgage, and then the banks got so backed up with this collateral and these assets um, that they had to start offering a discount, right? They had an order. No, 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 John, John, let me just stop you right there because I think this sort of factors into kind of what we're doing today. So, so what you're saying okay. is when the when the lender would go in and analyze, reanalyze someone's loan, if they saw that the income, right. the direct coming in, wasn't enough to cover the note going forward, the bank would have to take some action in anticipation of the loan going uh, wrong. Would would that be a would that be an accurate way to um no, to, exactly to, because why would they want to take back that property when they knew yep. that it, it didn't have enough income to service the the debt right? And so then, you know, the Fed had things in, in position. Um, they had these 80-20 um, um, situations where banks, you know, would be responsible for 20%. Yeah, in other words, if a bank would keep their portfolio going, 
Yep. Right. Um, the government would would allow them um, to write off a certain amount, and then they would come back and 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 capitalize the rest of it for them. Right. So correct. correct. There was yeah. So there was there was a lot of different things going on at the time. Banks were failing. Um, every Friday, and then, every Friday you had banks yeah, going down. Every Friday was yeah. You had a new failure, and then you had the Fed coming in and auctioning off these 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 notes. Um, yep. You know, Bank United down here was one, um, and we had gotten involved in, over there at, at, at some of these portfolios that were incredible. Um, mm-hmm. But the deal was was great because if you went in and you bought a bank, if you bought a bank's book. Um, I know the numbers that I think took place on Bank United was about a $35 billion book um, that these guys bought for $900 million, the guys from North Fork Bank. That's right. And so it was an 80-20 loss thing. So what would happen is, if I could remember this correctly, you would they purchased the note for, for $900 million, right, $35 million in debt. Yep. And so let's say that you had a note with that bank for for a million bucks. Mm-hmm. Well, they paid they paid like like less than 10%. They paid let's say $90,000 for your million dollar note, right? Okay. And so what would happen is is the bank would then go back to the to the borrower and he would the bank would say, "Listen, we'll give you a discount of $300,000," right? So that guy would then go out and raise that seven hundred thousand to pay off his note, right? Remember, mm-hmm. remind you that the investment group paid a hundred thousand, right, for that for that million dollar note. Then they would go back and offer it to the borrower for say six hundred thousand, giving him a four hundred thousand dollar discount. He yep. would think it's the greatest thing to come along since sliced bread. But here was the kicker. That piece between the six hundred and the million was four hundred thousand dollars, right? Mm-hmm. That was the discount they offered the borrower. The investment group that paid a hundred thousand and got paid six hundred thousand dollars back would then take that <laughs> four hundred thousand, go to the Fed yep. and say, "Hey, listen, we got beat up on this loan uh, by four hundred thousand, and the Fed would give them eighty percent of that discount back." Wow! So what a hustle! It was, it was, yeah, <laughs> listen. If you had cash back then, you were king because, you know. So if you worked if you worked those numbers out in your head, and you figure we paid a hundred grand for a million dollar note, we got paid back six hundred thousand, then we went and got eighty percent or another three hundred twenty thousand from the discount we offered from the federal government. So yep. they ended up getting nine hundred eighty thousand dollars on the one million dollar note that they paid a hundred thousand dollars for. But 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 they were willing to buy when no one else was. And, exactly, and, and that was hence the, thing, the return. Right? They were willing, exactly. So, so you know, capitalism at its finest. You know, they were willing to buy when nobody else was willing to, you know, come in and save the day, right? Love and it, love so it. So what it. we would do, yeah, we were the guys that would come in and finance that piece from the discount, right? The DPO, so as it's called, the discounted nice. payoff. And so we had that going, and 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 fortunately or unfortunately, if you took that discount. You couldn't walk into another bank. The, the, the problem was was once the once once a federally insured bank seen you take that four hundred thousand dollar discount, you were mm-hmm. no longer credit worthy, right? Got it. So it wasn't on the books as written written law, but it was basically you know kind of the the idea like hey this guy shorted his bank, um, 
$400,000. He's not a creditworthy guy. We don't want him on our books, which opened up a vast marketplace for guys like me um, and, and what we were doing. And uh, we, we just basically started to source capital because that debt was being serviced at a million. It may have, it w- may have been able to service seven or 800,000 now, but the mm-hmm. new debt piece was only 600,000, you know, and this could be on a $5 million loan, it could be on a $500,000 loan. But we were, we were really good at sourcing that capital for people to, to raise that capital and put them into a new loan let them get themselves cleaned up and they would stay in that for two or three years. We'd give them, you know, 36 months on that to which then at that time they could go back to the banks and say, Hey, look, we've been debt servicing on these numbers for the last 36 months. And then, um, so it created, it created a great uh, opportunity for us to, um, you know, make money during a, during a time when, when capital was not, uh, was not readily available. Um, to meet a lot of interesting people and really make a name for ourselves as well in, in you know, in the, in this business. And, and so that's what I'd like to think that we've done. Um, you know, not a, not a Wharton graduate or a silver tongue devil of the financial world, you know? Um, but we've, we've been able to make a name for ourselves in that, you know, I'd say 90% of 90, 90 to 95% of the times when we take on an opportunity, it's because, we know that we have the ability to to fund it and close it. You know, earlier in the in the um, in the conversation, I said that I'm a little bit lazy, right? So, you know, and I don't mean that in, in, in a negative way. I just don't. I don't want to go into a deal. Um, You're you know, always trying tight. to look. For, yeah, I don't want. Yeah, I don't want to throw some shit on the wall and see if it sticks, right? I want to know that if we put our efforts into putting together and structuring and finding and and putting the capital together that we're going to close and we're going to get paid at the end of it. And, and so, you know, we've been real good at that and, and we've been real fortunate in that. And then, as you know, when the capital markets started to come back, those of us like yourself, um, like your guy, uh, Jose from last week, uh, great guy. Yep. Uh, yeah. Jose Suarez, yeah. 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 Jose global Suarez. inventory liquidators. Yeah. Global inventory liquidators. Yep. What he does is he goes in and he basically buys out failing companies, but those companies looking to generate some cash, pays five to 10 yep. cents on a dollar for furniture equipment, turns around and resells it for 20 to 30 cents on a dollar. So he's got a little, you, you know, well. I'll tell you, I was a bit aggravated because I hadn't been in touch with him for the last couple of years. And I just re I redecorated my whole house about a year ago. <laughs> Maybe a year and a half ago, and if I would have known that he had all that furniture, I would have hustled him. I would, you know, I would have got, I would have got it at cost. I wouldn't let him make any money. <laughs> well, well, I don't know, John. I don't know if you if you remember, but he actually they just represented Trump National Resort out in Durrell, which is a suburb of Miami. They went in there and they, he said he said they auctioned off ten truckloads of furniture, some uh, uh, pre-owned and some brand new. Because Trump was looking to raise some cash over there because of uh, challenging times. Really interesting. Yeah, interesting. I'm gonna yeah. have to call. I have to call Jose and see what he's got. You know, you never know. <laughs> you never know. See if he remembers <laughs> old friends. You know. <laughs> John, 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 one, one and... question. Yes, sir. What? What? One question before we take our our next commercial break. Um. So, so anybody who's sort of in the game, uh, uh, mm-hmm. pays attention to Wall Street, New York, stuff like that. There always seems to be an Irish connection to banking and finance. What's your take on that? I don't think it's so much that it's a connection to uh, banking and finance. I think it's a connection to Blarney and bullshit, right? So most people in the finance world are full of shit. 
only kidding. That's us. Uh, um, no, <laughs> couldn't help that one, you know. Um, no, I, you know, there is. You're absolutely right. I mean, look, one of the things that I got to do and and was to really realize, and you know, every time I'm 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 talking to somebody, and it, and it's a funny thing because you do kind of feel, you know, when you're a when you have an O in front of your last name, which mine used to be O'Grady or a Mick, or, you kind of know a little bit of something about their and – I, and I think in the financial world, I think Irish people, you know, it's, it's really hard to break them, you know. And, and I think in the financial world, it, it, you can go through a lot of frustrations and a lot of failures before you get that success, you know. And, um, and so I think, uh, you know, the, the Irish character is one that, you know, hey – uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep swinging here, and that's you know that's one of the commonalities that I've come to find living back in Ireland, um, and and growing up, you know, basically Irish American of having I think we all have that to a sense here in this country, um, yeah. but that that tenacity I think is is is, is it's cultural it's, it's culturally American, but I think back back in the in Ireland it's um, you know they went through seven eight hundred years of their own you know, basically slavery, you know, and so I think that carries out into into the culture and, and, and people are really driven um by by that, you know, that drive to succeed. So, you know, finance has been always I've always I've and I and I and what you said is actually correct, you know. I, I do I run into a lot of people with that last name and I always I'm always able to connect on that Irish level by dropping a something that Irish people would understand, like, go fuck yourself, you know? On that note, John, um, somebody wants to reach out to you. What, what's the best way for them to reach you? Um, and I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to ask you to do that again at the, at the end of the next segment. So, so somebody's sure. listening, they like what you got to say, maybe in the, they're in the market, uh, they need some financing, or maybe they want to uh, be a funding source for you. Uh, I, I, how mm-hmm. can they reach you? Yeah, I mean, look, they could, best way, I, I guess, obviously, acapusa.com. Um, we have, you know, phone numbers, and, and, you know, you can call me direct anytime at 786-258-2068. My work is my life, so I really, you know, just answer that phone, um, you know, religiously and, and don't really have no downtime. Um, you know, one one me, it's, more it's time with the number? One. John, one more time with the telephone number? Yes, 786-258. Got it. Got it. And what about an email? Email is jgrady at acapusa.com. For our Latinos out there, it's acapusa.com. I like it. Acapusa. Very good. Well, that's, you know, I deal with a lot of South Americans, and that's always how they say, oh, is it jgrady at acapusa.com? And I say, yeah, okay, that's great. You know, so. We've learned to use both of them. We deal a lot with South Americans and uh, investment groups that come up from down south. So um, uh, we're, we're Spanglish and Spanish speakers here in the office. Nice. Okay, we're going to go ahead and we're going to take a commercial break. On the other side of the break, I'm going to ask John a little bit about uh, uh, the rest of his business, what kind of money, uh, what, what kind of dollar figures uh, is sort of their sweet spot. And then I'm going to ask him to sort of talk about the future, especially reflecting on what we discussed in terms of the last go around. So we'll catch you on the other side of the break. Challenging times for real estate call for experts that help you to navigate the new normal in the process of buying or selling property in South Florida. At CBA Realty, we listen carefully and advise based on stats, local knowledge, and experience. 
For more information, call us at 305-865-5859 or visit our website, cbrrealty.com. Welcome back to the Condo Vultures Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Zaluski. I have a conversation with John Grady. He's a principal with Acquisitions Capital. It goes by the term ACAP. You want to uh, check out his website, go to ACAPUSA. That's A-C-A-P-U-S-A.com. Um, John, we were just talking about the last go around and, and some of the challenges that were, um, you know, basically that everybody had to deal with, with the great recession, stuff like that. Now I'm going to, uh, at the end of this segment, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and reflect and compare and contrast what we're going through now versus last time. But before we do that, um, I want the audience to, and listener to sort of understand what else you, uh, your organization does, like what's your sweet spot in sort of in terms of dollar amount, how long does it take to get a, a mortgage? Do you like do you work more with foreign nationals versus domestics, or so? So, can you just kind of walk it through real simple? Start off with say residential mortgage. Maybe somebody wants a one-off unit, and then maybe they want to buy mm-hmm. a multifamily, and then maybe they want to get into a, a business. And, and if you can just morph, just to give people a general perspective, and also yeah. two dollar amounts, so they know and listen to this whether or not they should call you or whether or not they shouldn't call you because you know they don't want to waste their time or your time. So, so what, what, what do you say to that? Well, I'll tell you, we're, um, you know, I've learned in this business that, you know, I've been in a lot of different, as you could probably tell from the conversations, different times over the last 20 years, I've been in, you know, specialized areas of, of the mortgage finance world or the, or the real estate finance world. And that, that is really, you know, trying to kind of carve out that one niche um, has been something that, it doesn't really because I've done so much and been in those mm-hmm. different different parts. Um, we really have come to realize that you know the, the governing documents or the governing things of a mortgage are all the same, right? Whether your mortgage mortgage is a hundred million dollars or a hundred thousand dollars, it's going to be governed by a mortgage and a note, right? Yep. And so so the internal workings of that and, and a title policy and a closing statement, all of that is going to be in um, in a mortgage, right? Yep. Um, so what we've done is we've kind of went out into the marketplace and we've said, okay, Mr. Private Investor, high net worth individual that likes to, you know, doesn't want to leave his money um, in a CD at 1%, but would like to, you know, tie something into a into a piece of collateral that is stable, that you can't pick it up and walk away with it, right? Um, mm-hmm. And they, you know, they don't want to take that. They want to leave that capital for two or three years instead of a CD. Um, you know, we take money and we put that into, um, you know, some some different specialized loans, very low risk, low leverage, generally up to 60, 65 percent. Um, I look at that to be a safe number because even in our worst days of the downturn, I think what we lost um, maximum across the board in Miami was was pretty much about 30 to 35% off our value. We've since gained that back. Um, but when we, so when we go out and we are raising that private capital with a guy that says, Hey, you know, I have a couple hundred thousand or a couple million dollars and I don't want to put it in a CD um, for a 1% return because I don't need that money for the next two to three years. Uh, we'll yep. take that and we'll put that in a, in a stable, in a stable piece of collateral. We do a lot of, a lot of business um, for the condo world. And okay. a lot of, you know, guys that are savvy and their finances are complicated or whatever it might be, you know, they may come and say, look, I want to come to the U.S. market from a foreign place with X amount of 
capital. I want to spread that capital over multiple investments and use debt to maximize their portfolio. Yeah. So in, in many cases like that, we're giving them mortgages, very simple, no documentation. You give us an appraisal, we document who you are, we do a quick background check on you to make sure that, you know, um, you are who you Interpol's say you are. Interpol's not looking and, for you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Interpol's not out there, you know, uh, banging down the door. And, we'll, we, you know, we do mortgages at 8 eight to 9%. Um, so, so that's, that's been a really, a, a big part of our, a big part of our bread and butter, right. Um, to say, when I say bread and butter, that means, you know, we get a lot of guys that come in to say some of these high end condos on Miami mm-hmm. beach or in the different, different markets around Miami. And they say, Hey, look, I went to the bank, you know, they started asking me for this, that, and the third, and I didn't want to provide it or I couldn't provide it, but I still want to raise 50% of my, you know, purchase price. Um, a lot of, as you know, Pete, um, the way we structure deals here now in Miami is 10% at contract, you know, another 20% when they reach their floor and another 20% at the top off of the building. Yeah. So generally it's a 50% down and we'll come in with that other 50% um, and, and close them pretty quick. So um, with very limited documentation. Um, and we're good at that. We're, we're, we're very good. We have, we have a lot of sources of capital that love that space. Um, and generally those loans can be anywhere from 300,000 up to $10 million. Right. Um, so we use, we use a couple of insurance groups that we have a few high net worth individuals. Um, and that, that's, that's, I always call that bonus money because, you know, I don't have to even look at the paperwork to do it because I've been doing it for so long. Yeah. I know we have a very systematic way of putting that together and being able to close something like that in seven to ten days, right? Okay, John. Um, so, so let yeah. me ask you. So, you said seven to mm-hmm. ten days. Typically, you can get it done. What what kind of interest rates are you talking about, and what type of term? How many years uh, typically is mm-hmm. one of these mortgages? Just just something to get somebody in, and then lo and behold, you're going to refinance them into something else. Just big picture wise, so the so the listener right. can yeah, um, picture, you know can process. You know, you've got a lot of bridge money. What's called bridge money out there? They bridge you from one space to the next, or one period yes. to the next. And bridge money generally, the downside of bridge money is is usually it's a twelve month. Right, it's, mm-hmm. it's usually some kind of institutional money, and they'll give you 12 months, and then they'll start charging you extension fee. Um, one of the things that that carves us out and makes us different is that we have a four-year term from inception. Right, so okay. we can give you up to 48 months. You don't have to take that 48 months. Um, mm-hmm. You can take as little as six. We do, we do that. We do lock you in for six months because obviously, for somebody to put that capital forward and go through all the stuff that they go through. They want to earn at least six months yeah. uh, of the interest. So we have a lockout period for six months on, on, on that type of debt, and, and we can go up to 48 months, right? Generally, our rates range anywhere from realistically right around 8% up to nine and a quarter, depending on okay. the exposure or the loan to value or the, the project or, you know, whatever, whatever it be. So there's a few contributing factors because we use different sources for that. So okay. our loans are generally 36 to 48 months, depending on who we use. And that, that really, like I said, that's that when we get those deals where everybody puts a smile on everybody's face, because it's, 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 it's really, uh, it's relationship based, right? We've been around for 20 years, uh, lenders and people that invest in this stuff know who we are, what we do, how we vet our people. And that, you know, when we put somebody in a loan, they're, they're, they're good, they're good, solid clients. So now, now, now John, that, you, 
I'm sorry. You you had mentioned um, brand new construction where there's 50% um, deposit down. So you you'll go you you'll provide 50% of the purchase price and financing. What what about an existing condo? What uh, what type of down payment or how much equity does does a borrower have to have into an existing condominium? So so depending on and again if we're talking about a domestic um, uh, Peter that may be an investor we can take him up to 80%. Um, okay, so why, why don't we do domestic and then foreign national, mm -hmm. just so 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 everybody can sort of get you know get a sense. Sure. Sure. So on the domestic side, um, it's going to be credit driven, right? Um, because if you're a domestic, you have a social security number and you have a credit history. Mm -hmm. So we'll, we'll, we're able to take depending on your credit score. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of what they call non-QM. Um, a paper out there now, non-QM mortgages, non-qualified. Um, and so, um, so, so what happens in, in that situation is somebody has a, you know, a 700 credit score. Um, they're an investor. They don't file their taxes, you know, the way they, or they take a lot of deductions, you know, like our president, you know. Um, <laughs> hey, he pays 750 bucks in taxes. What are you talking hey, about? Hey, buddy, listen <laughs> Listen, if you can do it legally, hey, you know, listen, knock yourself out, right? Uh, a lot of depreciation going on there, I guess. Um, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, so, look, if you're following, your, you know, your income, you know, is, 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 is spread across different things and you're taking deductions, you may not have the tax returns to qualify you for the, you know, for those, for the debt-to-income ratio. On a, on a residential side, it's DTI, debt-to-income yep. ratio. On a commercial, it's DSCR, debt service coverage ratio, right? So on a DTI, um, we can use bank statements sometimes to get those done for you, qualifying that you take your commercial account and you have a certain amount of money going in there um, every month. And we can look at those deposits and usually generally use about 60 to 70% of that um, and, and qualify you through that. So there's a number of different ways that we can get you done. Um, as long as the credit. Now, you know, the banks have tightened, the markets have tightened, but, you know, we're, we're, I'd say, look, if you have a 660 credit score and you, you know, can so, show some sort of income or a lease on a property, mm -hmm. you know, we have a good program up to 75, 80% for you. Got it. Got on it. The, and then the foreign the national? national? Yeah, foreign national, I always look, I always like to sell them at the idea, look, you, you want to bring in, look, there's guys in my business that bring loans to me, right? And they're saying, oh, John, I sold them a, you know, I sold them 70% down. I always like to tell foreign nationals, be prepared for 40% into the, into the market, right? If you prepare yourself for 40% and I can get you 65, well, kumbaya, we've, you know, um, I'd rather, I'd rather shoot for the, shoot for the, for the moon and hit the stars than shoot for the stars and hit the moon, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So I always try to tell foreign nationals, be prepared for 40% by the time you're done with your closing costs. Many places want, you know, if you're going bank, traditional bank finance, they're going to want to see what's called reserves, the ability to service that debt for at least mm -hmm. 12 months with no income coming in off of it, right? Um, if, you're, if you're going to be doing some of our private lenders in stuff that's a little more, as we say, hairy, in other words, if it's not a straightforward condo, um, yes. we can, I'll talk about that next, but if it's a straightforward condo, look, we don't really require reserves. If you're going to be coming in with 35 to 40%, we'll get you done all day long as a foreign national. And when I say, when I say as a foreign national, I mean that you give me your passport, you're going to have to have your, your title is going to have to be corporate. You should want to do that anyway for your own protection. 
um, mm-hmm. by way of inheritance laws in the U.S. that are really, really, you know, really strong and, and, and do take, they absorb a lot of any of your capital gains if you're not in a corporate entity. So we'll take that those corporate docs that you may form in the U.S. We can do that for you, copy of your passport and appraisal, and we'll get you we'll get you 65% financing all day long. Nice, nice, nice. Now, 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 John, that's for residential. What about when we get on mm-hmm. the uh, commercial side? Is it gonna, how, how much of a difference is it going to be, just generally speaking? Yeah, I mean, so so when you're talking about commercial, the real big thing that changes, Pete, is that. You know, we're not underwriting the individual. On a commercial property, when we talk about commercial, it usually means income producing, right? So we're going to underwrite the actual collateral for the income that it produces, and that's going to be your qualifier. So we want to make sure that we have something like a 1.2 DSCR, right, debt service coverage ratio, 120% of the annual mortgage debt, right, taxes Mm -hmm. of the the annual mortgage debt, and as long as your net, your NOI is 120% or 1.2, um, we can qualify you just for about anything. Now, there are different programs that we have out there that are one-to-one. In other words, 100% of your mortgage debt equals 100% of what your NOI or your net operating income, and we can get yep. you done there. Um, that program is a little, you know, we want to see an upside. Okay, John, look, I'm buying a multifamily Right now, it's, you know, it needs to be renovated. We want to change bathrooms and kitchens. We can get that money for you to do that renovation. And the new market rent after we do that renovation is going to be X, right? So we'll factor some of that in there to say, hey, look, you know, this guy is doing an acquisition plus rehab, right? And the new income based on the market is going to be this. And so we can generally get you in there. Um, at even sometimes less than a one-to-one. Got but on a commercial, it, it. any kind of commercial loan, whether it's straightforward retail, straightforward multifamily, straightforward hospitality, um, we're always going to underwrite um, the income that that collateral produces to qualify for the debt. Now, now, now John, how, how challenging is it today, uh, given the fact we're in a pandemic and given the fact that, uh, you know, there's a lot of restaurants, there's hotels, there's all types of industries that are being impacted on this. How uh, how willing are your lenders to put money on the street? Um, could could you just sort of address that? Yeah, I'll tell you. The the first couple of months of this thing, I was like, oh boy, here we go again, right? Um, you know, <laughs> two thousand. Yeah, here we go again. You know, what am I going to do? How is this going to work out? Um, and I guess the first three weeks, it was it was a trying period where people were like, okay. What is this going to look like? You know, what is what is the end of this thing look like? What is the middle of this thing look like? And how do we as a society, you know, operate um, through this thing? And I think as we have figured it out, contrary to what, you know, you hear on the, you know, whatever, um, you know, we as people, we're, we're pretty good, right? You know, there was only it was only a couple hundred years ago that we foraged and lived in the forest, right? And there so, you, <laughs> you know, we came through. We came through <laughs> You know, we came through things like the bubonic plague. We came through, you know, wars. I, I mean, during this time, I was reading this book about uh, England, you know, and, and, and day-to-day life during World War II was, you know, still nine to five. You go to work. At night, you go home. You get bombed all night long. You wake up in the morning. You look out your window. You see if the buildings around you are still standing, and you got on the trolley and went to work. So I think wow. as people, 
you know, we have, and it was amazing to read that and put yourself in there like, you know, these people were living some sense of normality. They adjusted, mm-hmm. right? We're, we're people, human beings, we have that ability to go to the North Pole and exist and, and go mm-hmm. to the, the Amazon forest and exist. We, we, you know, we accommodate, right? We, we, can, we can make it happen. And so as this thing started to pan out and people start, we started to understand that we were at a great time in, 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 in technology, that we could all work from home and we could, you know, lock down for this certain period of time and that the economy would still keep going, um, people started to come back into the marketplace relatively fast. And I'll tell you, the last six months, we've been, we've been pretty busy, um, whether it be from people that came into the market to, and bought their collateral with all cash, and they wanted to free up some of that cash for this reason. Okay. Um, we've, been able, we've been able to place those deals um, and with people that say, hey, look, this, is, this has a beginning, it has a middle, and it definitely has an end. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, I think, you know, the market has been, uh, has been kind. You know, it has been kind, and we've been able to get deals done. We had a few banks that have went in and out of this. Um, yeah. I have one of my banks that went went out, came back in, went back out, and now they're back in again, right? Um, but I think as we, you know, once we get through this 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 thing that we're doing here next week, um, and we meaning see the presidential the election, are, yeah, yep. the presidential election. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, once we get and the, and the dust settles there, I think we're we're going to be in a really good position. Um. You know, look, we're we're Americans, and at the end of the day, I'm hopeful that we're going to stay Americans, and we'll, we'll, you know, whoever wins and whoever has to bite the bullet, I I hope we we do, not literally, um, and we get back to some sense of normality. The markets have stayed strong, financials are very strong, um, and I think that's been a great help. Um, a lot of the initial QM lenders that in the first week of the pandemic left, they were gone, uh, they closed down their pipelines. Um, simply because those investment dollars were, weren't coming from Wall Street have now entered back in. And we're huh. starting to see a lot of uh, loan product that was gone for the last five or six months um, come back to the table, you know. Um, and, and we've been are, fortunate. We, mm-hmm. Well, I was going to say, so, so the push-pull is, generally speaking, um, uh, the Federal Reserve has cut interest rates to virtually nothing. Um, right. And then the flip side is, is what the hell's happening with valuations? So, you know, granted, you might be a lender putting money on the street, but then the flip side is what's the risk involved? Because if you have a bunch of retailers or you have restaurants inside there, are they really going to be able to survive? So, so how, how does that play out, uh, John, every time you guys are sort of, you know, you're, you're, you know, you, you have a loan application in and you're trying to either get private money and or FDIC insured money, um, uh, uh, to, to support or fund. One of your applications, right? Look, and and, and I and you know what's happening there in the retail sector. I think you know, look, there's there's a hit. You know, there was there's a there's a hit coming. You know, I my office actually happens to be in an area um, of Miami called Wynwood, and um, you know we were oh you're in Wynwood, we were, yeah. Well, we were in downtown in the in the south in the southeast financial center, that big behemoth down there, and yep. Um, Crazy enough, the people that own that building are always liquid for a billion or better in cash. Um, and during during a pandemic where we didn't go to the office for 10 weeks and there was a major construction project happening there, they wanted to raise our rent about 22%. So I kind of said, no, I don't think so. So 
well we kind of came over to Wynwood and beautiful, great, great area. Um, but you can notice it over here that this is a, basically a tourist destination. A um, lot of restaurants, great restaurants, I have to say. I didn't, you know, I was pleasantly surprised coming over here because, you know, Wynwood being touristy, you know, we Miamians that are, you know, and unfortunately, if anybody's listening that knows me from New York, you know, don't, I am a Miamian now. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get pelted for that. Um, yeah, but listen, but, they're all coming, Sean. They're all Paul, Paul Singer. <laughs> he just announced he's bringing <laughs> Elliot down here, Blackstone. Every, everybody's coming. You, you were ahead of listen, the curve. I have, I have three, I have three groups that are that are Wall Street lenders that have transferred their headquarters down here. So people are not happy with what's going on up there in the good old big New York. But New York will make a comeback. It always does, right? So, yep. Um, but yeah, so you know, one of the things that I always say is in Miami, and you know, we kind of stay out of the touristy parts of town, you know, so I never really came to Wynwood much, but having the office here, an amazing amount of really good gastro opportunity, a little expensive because it's touristy, um, but really, uh, really great food, little small, you know, um, mom and pop, one-off restaurants, and, and uh, but you do notice the retail, you know, the retail is getting killed over here because it's just, we don't have enough tourist business coming in um, to sustain and, you know, with the social distancing and people not being sure, you know, when was very much of a party area and, you know, nightlife and all this kind of stuff. And so, so it's taken a hit over here. So the retail sector, I'll tell you, you know, I think there's going to have to be some kind of bailout, you know, with, with this next round, if we can, if we if these, if these idiots up in Washington can, can come together on both sides yeah. and say, look, it's not about you and your little pissing match. It's about us, the people. Um, and I think there's going to have to be some sense of a bailout when it comes to the retail sector. Fortunately, um, one of the things I did notice even this week um, was that really, I guess, has helped us, you know, a country of 350 million people, um, and based on the fact that most of us vacation during the summer and most, and, and if all, if not most of international travel was shut down, Mm-hmm. Um, early on, you know, we were working on a big property over here doing about an $80 million construction loan for uh, for a property over here on 36th Street um, that was the trophy of Miami, right? It was the trophy of Miami real estate in, say, October last year, right? Okay. Um, it's going to be 450 rooms. I won't say the names, but you, you can figure, you know, you, you'll figure it out. Um and we were working on the refinance of the land acquisition and the construction debt right when this thing hit. And it was sad because that trophy asset went to being like the black eye of, you know, of, of Midtown, you know, because it yeah. was, you know, it was going to be hospitality. Nobody knows what's happening with hospitality. And, and the fact yeah. that we shut down our international travel, I think Miami, we've weathered the storm. I don't think we're going to be profitable and things have grown per se, but we have seen a lot of, a lot of these hotels on Miami beach, um, you know, at least be able to sustain themselves with the domestic travel from the U S. And I noticed this week that one of the national hotel lenders that I deal with uh, in mm-hmm. the hospitality sector is, is back to the market and making loans. So um, interesting. You know, yeah, it was it was very interesting. And I was trying to say, how the how the hell does that happen? But then I realized that we had no international travel, you know, 
And the few yeah. times that I've been down to Miami Beach, I still, you know, visit the Big Pink on Sunday mornings for my breakfast because it's still a reasonable place to eat some good breakfast. Yeah. Um, the restaurants have been crowded. The streets have been full. Um, even though we were in, you know, for most of the summer, we were in a curfew at 11 o'clock. So, um, you know, I think we've, we've, we've done okay. I, I don't think we've, we've have, certainly haven't grown. Um, we've actually lost a lot. But to see this national lender um, that only deals in the hospitality sector um, shoot me emails letting me know, hey, John, we're back in the marketplace, tightened our guidelines to a certain sense, right? Uh, we're only doing the top 10, uh, top 10 MMAs. Um, and, and MMA, and so John, is uh, metropolitan market? It's a major metropolitan area. Okay. So New, New York, um, and I, but I'll tell you, like, I, I, I give you a perfect example of, of the, 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 the full spectrum, right, Pete? Mm-hmm. I was working on, a, on a, 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 an east side townhouse right off of uh, Fifth Avenue, right, um, 63rd Street. You know, if you know New York City, that is, you know, woof, creme de la creme, right? Still yep. a single-family home, right, uh, about nine, ten thousand 10,000-square-feet. Appraised in December last year for $50 million, Right. Five zero. The owner of that, yeah, five zero. Yes, five zero. <laughs> <laughs> the owner came to me with an appraisal in April, um, looking to find refinance fifty percent of the value. Uh, the new appraisal lost ten million dollars from in value from oh. December to April, right? Oh, but the, the kicker is, any other time in my business, that would have been like, oh gosh, you know, like what an opportunity. This is a gift. And I've been working five months to place that loan, and I can't find anybody willing to give us $20 million to the owner of that property uh, because they just don't really trust the market in New York right now, you know? So that's been unfortunate. That's been unfortunate. On the flip side to that, Miami, you know, we're funding construction loans um, ground up. You know, we're we're actually closing, uh, um, you know, a small multifamily uh, tomorrow uh, because a million dollars. So we've been, you know, we've been – pretty much flush with capital um, in the Miami market, not so much in New York, um, but some of the other um, – I did. we just did a, um, a retail center in a, in a place called Creekside, Texas, uh, right outside of Houston. Um, mm-hmm. So, And that was retail. Um, they actually were, were leased up to various types of schools um, and were able to keep their – they lowered their rents and were able to keep their, their clients in there, and we, we got that done for them as well. So – I guess in place to place, it's, it's it's actually varying around the country, unfortunately. And I won't now, say why it is or who, what it's varying by, but you can read between the lines. Yeah, 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 yeah. John, John, I want I want to um, ask you three more questions before we shut this down because I've already used so much of your time. Um, no, that's so fine. I guess I I guess question number one: somebody who's maybe is listening and they own a property and they're in some trouble. Uh, again, maybe they didn't do anything wrong. Uh, the pandemic hit. Uh, everything was golden, and now all of a sudden it's not. Um, any suggestions for them? Um, what, what's the likelihood that there might be sort of, sort of short-term financing to get them from here to there, uh, whether it's a bridge loan or anything else? Just, just generally speaking, what, uh, what, what sort of suggestion or advice or, 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 or general counsel could you offer to maybe somebody who's listening and is in a situation like that? Yeah, I, I'll tell you, Pete, I think it's, it's you know, look, there's a lot of contributing factors to the downside, but there's a lot of contributions to the upside. One of them you spoke about, right? Interest yep. rates are at zero, 
right? Yep. So, so the capital markets are flush. Yep. Um, they're not bold and flush. They're conservative and flush. Um, but I would say that, look, if you had, if you're, if you're faced with a situation, give us a call over here at ACAP, you know, give us a call and we can, you know, walk you through a scenario and certainly let you know within an hour or within a, you know, a 30 minute conversation, what the likelihood of you getting financing or finding a solution to the problem that you're having, right? Um, Got 80% of what we're doing right now is refinance cash out. So, um, you know, if, if there's a home, if, if there's a home for you, we have it. That's, I, I mean, that's a broad statement. Um, but again, so much of this right now is, is, you know, consistent. What is your circumstance? You know, yeah. are you dealing Hence with a multi family that people don't have to pay rent right now? So you're looking for something to bridge you on that case scenario. Are you a retail where you don't see, you know, any income coming back in the next, you know, 24 months. So there's a lot of different things happening with this, um, you know, that I, I, I don't really think I can give you a broad answer there, except that, you know, case by case, um, we definitely could could help you uh, take a look at what, what may or may not be available to you. Okay. Um, uh, question number two. Remember, I only had three left. Question number two. Mm-hmm. So, so there, there's, a, there's a developer down here called Don Peebles. Don was a big Washington, D.C. developer, yeah. came down here, mm-hmm. he built the bathhouse, uh, the Royal Palm Hotel. Yeah. Um, he's done some other right. stuff down here. Uh, Don recently said in a radio interview that he he has a fund that's focused on buying hospitality-related properties in established mm-hmm. markets like Miami Beach, but he's looking for about mm-hmm. 30% off of replacement cost uh, for like a, let's call it a three-plus uh, to four-plus uh, star type of hotel. Um, do, mm-hmm. Based on what you're seeing, do you think properties will – will fall to that far below replacement costs, generally speaking, no. hospitality-related? Not here. Yeah, not, not, not in Miami. I don't think um, – I think that would – you know, replacement cost is generally uh, – you know, in my experience, I, I don't have the calculation for that, but replacement yep. cost is generally 30 to 40% lower than market value, right? Yep, so yep, he yep. wants to, he wants to pay another thirty only thirty to forty percent or seventy percent of replacement costs. Um, yeah, I, I you know look I mean that's that's a you know look, look, I'm sure I'm sure that based on those numbers um, he was able to raise a ton of capital. Um, how much <laughs> of that capital you know <laughs> how much of that capital he's going to be able to deploy. Um, I don't see it. I, I don't. I, I, I think that our market here in Miami has not, it's not been robust. Um, and we certainly have taken a hit. And, but we had that domestic market that I don't think anybody was really thinking about so much because we shut down international travel, right? And it. so it's like me, I've been looking for a place to take a vacation, you know, because I didn't do anything all summer. And so I'm, I'm, you know, my, 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 my solution is uh, I'm going to the West coast, you know, uh, for a staycation. So, um, you know, so I West think coast there's a lot Florida. of that. I, I, yeah. The West coast of Florida. Right. Um, okay. So I, I don't, I don't think that we're going to see, I don't think that that bucket of capital that he raised will be deployed um, uh, because I, I don't think, I don't think the numbers are going to go there. You know, I, I think there's, be, be, there's don't get me wrong. There's there's going to be some problems and there's going to be some uh, fallout. We still yet to be seen uh, what what kind of government um, relief is going to help in, in in if if any in the hospitality and retail world. 
Um, But once we know about that, I think we'll be able to kind of understand, you know, where the, but it was funny though, Pete, just that you say that. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a week into the pandemic and I started getting the calls, you know, (laughs) me too. You have any hospitality, any low hanging fruit? You know, let me know, let me know. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll tell you. Uh, you know, um, you know, uh, but yeah, that that would seem to be a a big um, a big big part of what people were thinking or hoping that would happen. And I don't, I'm I'm hoping it doesn't happen. You know. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, and, and I would assume, based on the capital that's out there, that even if the prices started to approach that, somebody would step forward and provide financing under some sort of exactly step forward and, and or come up with a bigger number than thirty percent of the of the yep. of the replacement cost. Yep. Yep. You know, yep. Okay. So, Understood. Is generally, commodity plus labor. You know. So. Yep. Now, now, my my, my final question from a, from a financing perspective. Um, so we're hearing about everybody going single family. They're leaving the towers. They're going into a single family. They want space. Uh, they also don't realize what it costs for insurance. They also don't realize what it costs to sort of maintain a property on their own. Uh, property taxes. Yada yada yada. Um, but 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 the trend of moving into your own space and leaving high density, where you got a 57-story uh, tower uh, with 500 units and there's 750 people living there, you know, you got uh, 0.5 dogs per unit, all this type of stuff. People are starting to move away from that. Kind of reminds me of 2003 uh, uh, when they were when they launched the uh, sales or sales were underway at a project uh, down on Brickell called the Four Seasons, and that was after September 11th. And nobody wanted to go into a high rise because of everything that happened with the World Trade Centers. So, so the sales center for the Four Seasons on Brickell actually had to shut down because nothing was selling. But ultimately, people ended up going back into high rises. So, 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 John, I guess the question I'm asking, you were talking about construction, and you're talking about high density. Right now, people don't necessarily want to be in a high density situation. Again, 500 units, uh, uh, you know, with 750 people, um, and they're all going single family. So how challenging or is it possible to finance high density type of construction, whether it's, you know, multifamily is what I'm thinking, whether it's condo or, or, or rental, given the fact that everybody seems to be going against it or our lenders looking at the possibility that this is just like a knee jerk reaction. And once we have a vaccine, people are going to go back and they're going to live high density again. So what's, uh, what, what kind of insight could you say about that? Well, I'll tell you, you know, being in, being in the, in the business through, you know, three or four different really, you know, catastrophic, you know, kind of segments in the market. You yourself have seen a few, and, and I've seen a few. Yep. Um, one thing that always surprises me about real estate in general in our country is, you know, it, its ability to bounce back, right? Um, and one thing that really surprises me about Miami is that even though real estate in the rest of the country is always cyclical, it seems that our cycles here have so many more contributing factors um, than than a standard market, right? Um, yep. We have so many different feeders coming from all different parts of the world. We have the high-end investor coming from South America looking to dump capital into the market for whatever reason to beat inflation. We have the immigrant market that's coming and that says the Hialeah market that has been at 100% occupancy for the last 20 years. Yep. Um, we have North, you know, North Miami, which is the same thing with the with the the Haitian market that has you know been at a hundred percent occupancy. So um, this to me is 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 something that is is more of a knee jerk, um, and I think that you kind of nailed it in a sense that 
I, I do think for the next two years or so, you know, the knee jerk and the kind of idea that says, hey, you know, I mean, I see my own property go up probably 20% in the last few months. I live in a single family home. Well, um, but I've also, yeah, uh, yeah, which is not a bad thing if I decide to sell it, right? So, um, but I've also seen there's a different there's a different type of condo um, that came into the marketplace and was doing really well from 13, 14, and 15, and then kind of scaled back, which was, um, you know, this this kind of uh, smaller amount of units, you know, 50 to 60 units. Um, you know, in a in a much bigger spaces, um, I've seen those that that they've been selling. There's a particular project in mind. Um, won't mention the name that I know that they've they've been doing some good sales, um, simply because they don't have 400 units. You know, um, yeah, yeah. But if I, you know, look, if I'm if I'm to go by by history and and I'm a big believer and you know, there's no um, there there's no new parts under the sun, just different actors, right? Um, mm-hmm. That will will go through this, and this will be another cycle that people will run from the three four hundred um, unit apartment building, and then try to get into something more spread out. And then, you know, obviously we'll get a vaccine, and we'll get this thing under control, and it will become, you know, just like the annual flu, um, which is you know where it seems to be going with the with the treatments that we have, and we'll get our vaccine once a year, and and people will get used to living with it, right? Um, so, um, obviously, if you think about how you were, how I was living with it, you know, in the first uh, two months, you know, I was walking around with a bottle of spray alcohol and, you know, mask. And, <laughs> you know, I had hand sanitizer on every table in my house, you know, and and uh, you know, and now I'm a little bit, you know, I'm still, I'm still, you know, I'm still responsible, uh, but you know, I'm a, a little bit less less worried about it because I know 15 or 20 people that have had it and didn't, you know, nothing really bad came about except that they got sick. Right. So I think as we start to understand a little bit more about the disease and the treatments, I I think it's going to turn into a knee jerk reaction. And I think um, if you remember Pete on 2007 and eight or eight, nine, uh, what do we have? We had um, the marquee. We had 900 Biscayne. We had, um, uh, three or four other buildings um, right there along that, that corridor of Biscayne Boulevard that when you drove your car through there at night, it was like a ghost town, right? That's true. Um, mm-hmm. and, and all the lights were out, and you were like, geez, what is ever? Oh, my God, how are we ever going to deal with this? We've overbuilt. There's no money. There's then, you know, and two years later, three years later, it was just, you know, thriving, you know? I... um when I lived in Coral Gables, I got rid of my single family home and I moved into Midtown. When I moved into Midtown, it was only because I had this Neapolitan Mastiff and they were only the only people to take the dog. And <laughs> when I moved, when I moved there, it was a ghost town, you know? Um, yep. And now, you know, we were over there for lunch, uh, the office the other day, we went to this sugarcane restaurant over there and it's been there for a while. And the place is pumping. I mean, there's new buildings coming online and, and so, yeah, I don't, I, you know, it's 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 really hard to make a, a you know a firm kind of, and I know yourself because you you definitely have been one of the foremost experts on making these solid predictions about the marketplace and people going by what you're saying, um, and it's really hard in this market to kind of, again, we have so many contributing factors to our market to say, 
that this is gonna this is a new this is a new thing, right? This is this is the new normal. Yeah. That every nobody's living in condos and we're all gonna be moving to the suburbs and whereas, you know, two years ago everybody's leaving the suburbs and coming into the into the downtown areas for the lifestyle and the, and, and you know and all that. So I, I really couldn't tell you. I mean unfortunately I hate to be so safe. Um as no, to no, not no, give no. you an answer on that. Um I, I understood, but I, but, I if, but if somebody yeah. came to you today and they said, Listen, I wanna build I wanna build a multifamily, a mid rise um, uh-huh. uh, and I'm going to rent it. Uh, how hard do you think it would be to, to uh, generate financing for that? I, in Miami, as, as simple as, as simple in Miami, simple as the day of long. We're we're working on three of them right now, and we have we have lenders bidding um, for the ability to do those deals. So there we go. I think that I I, yeah. I think that's my answer. <laughs> yeah. John, yeah, I mean, we're talking I, twenty thirty units. So twenty thirty units. That's a safe place, and and that's what. You know, from say five to thirty units, I don't think uh, you know the capital is there. Maybe not from the banking standpoint, but I have I have yep. the investors for that. Where, where do you think the tipping point is? Thirty units? I mean, what, what if we go to something like a hundred units, two hundred units? Is that a little bit too far of a shot? Um, is it more I like low rise? I think once you initially? cross over, once you cross over into a hundred units, I think people will start to factor in. Um, okay. You know what? What is the market going to look like when I deliver this product in two years? Are we going to have a vaccine? Well, yes, we are. Right? Yep. Would we have learned to live with COVID? Yes, we would have. You know, will COVID still be the you know the the driving force of of everything that is human? <laughs> um, yep. No, it won't. So you know, depending on the delivery time, um, you know, I think that a hundred units is where where it's kind of a safe bet when you start going into these. These bigger ones of two, three, four hundred units, you yep. know. But even that, I mean, you know, those are trading. You know, the, the, the these big, you know, family offices are looking for that, you know, because they, they just, you know, it's it's a solid piece of real estate, and you know, there's always going to be the guy, you know. Keep in mind the other factor aside from Corona and everything is credit, right? So yep. as credit tightens, which it has, remember yep. that the qualification to get a mortgage so that you can own that single family house isn't there. So it's driving people back into the rental market for another two to three years to save that extra money to get their credit right and to be more qualified um, to, to apply for that home. So there are other contributing factors aside from just the COVID virus. Um, you know, lending guidelines are very tight. All be capital markets are flush. Lending is tight, and and you know you you know the qualifying ratios of debt to income and credit is, is still still pretty tight in the marketplace. And, and just to clarify for the listener, you're, you're talking about the banks putting money on the street versus yes. the private yes. money. Right. Okay. Right. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. Uh, John, re- remind everybody how do they get hold of you? What's your telephone number? Uh, what's your email address? And what's the website? Yep. Uh, website is uh, www.acapusa.com, and uh, you can you can reach myself or Colin there. Um, and then you have my phone number at seven eight six two five eight two zero six eight. One more time. Seven eight six two five eight two zero six eight. And then it's jgrady at acapusa.com for your email. Right. And to our Hispanic listeners, acapusa. 
that that is John Grady. He's a partner with, excuse me, principal with Acquisitions Capital, based here in uh, Wynwood area of Miami. He's got the high end real estate, if you will. Um, uh, if you're looking for uh, information about getting a mortgage or anything associated with that, I'd encourage you to go ahead and reach out to John. Um, if you're not yet a subscriber to the Kind of Vulture podcast, I encourage you to go ahead and do so where you ever listen to your podcast. If you like what we're doing, please go ahead and give us a rating as well as some comments that will help us to spread the message about ultimately trying to bring straight talk to an overhyped real estate market. And then finally, if you have a comment for us, you want to make a compliment, you want to criticize us, ask a question, send an email to inquiry at condovultures.com. That's I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. I'm Peter Zalewski. Until next time, Stay safe, be healthy. Ciao, ciao.